episode 48 of Glass of Joe. I'm PJ Glasser. Joe Malfa is joining me as always. Joe, next week is massive. We got the PGA Championship in golf. NBA and NHL playoffs will be in full swing. Baseball will obviously still be going on. So that'll be a lot of uh, fun stuff to talk about. But this week, we got a lot of interesting conversations. We'll get into Aaron Rodgers and Tim Tebow and stuff surrounding them. We'll preview some of the first-round series in the NHL playoffs. Um, And also, we'll talk about the NFL schedule release that dropped this week. But before you hear our takes, listen to our amazing guest this week, Michael Jenkins, uh, who's now co-hosting By the Book over at Capital One Arena. Listen to his interview coming up next. Pleased to welcome back to the pod, new co-host of By the Book, the great Michael Jenkins. Jenks, so much has changed for you since you last joined us. Thanks for coming back. Congrats yeah. on the new gig. How's everything going with it? It's going good, man. It's crazy. Just, you know, I, I, we were just talking about this before the pod started, just the whole William Hill sports book and what they're building down there. And they're trying to revitalize Chinatown. So it, it's really cool to see that slowly happen as society opens back up a little bit. But it's been great. You know, I, the sports betting space just, I mean, you, I don't have to tell you guys, it just continues to grow and proliferate. And when you're doing it, it feels like it's been around for a long time, but it really hasn't. So we're just going to see it more and more. So to be part of it has been really exciting. And besides the actually picking games and props and yeah. not of it, what is everything behind that, behind the scenes, like as far as preparing for a betting show and yeah. planning things out and, and the inner workings of it? Like, no, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, it, it is a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot. I will go in today around probably one and I'll spend the next, you know, four hours prepping, which is, you know, it's just part of the job because you can't, I always say there are exceptions out there where someone knows everything about everything, but I'm not one of those people. You know? <laughs> so when I went in last week and we were talking about the Madrid open where Roth and a dog got upset, I'm like, I'm going to have to research this because I, I don't know what's going on. It's a Madrid open. I'm not really ready for Roland Garros in two weeks. So I have to research that. You know, I knew a little bit about UFC 262 this weekend in Houston, but you know, it's just hard to, to have your, your tentacles in every single thing that's going on. I mean, there are times you just have to prep and say, I, I have to be informed here before I go on the air. So um, that's just part of it. But yeah, there's a lot, there's tons of stuff that goes on before the show that you never really see. A lot of hard work. Everybody only sees the final product. They don't realize it at all how much goes into it. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> all right, Jenks, to, to the sports topics we go. Uh, NFL draft was now two weeks ago. Did you have a favorite pick from the draft, whether your team or, or one of your Texas alums or anything in general? You know, I love Trey Lance. I love Trey Lance, and I, that was the one pick that I got right. I got him at plus money at that third spot, and I just, I just felt like, you know, and it wasn't – I hate to say gut, but I just love his static report. I love his arm. I love his athleticism. The real, I understand the knock against him is that, okay, you played at North Dakota State, and, and there is obviously a step up in competition. But, man, this is like a young guy who's, who's 20 years old. Apparently, he blew the Niners like away with sort of his mental acumen when they talked with him. And I, I thought it was a great pick. And I never – at first, I, was, I thought Mac Jones was going to be the guy. But the more I thought about it, I thought, I just don't know if the Niners can – can they really sell themselves on someone who is not limited because he had a hell of a college football career, maybe great with new England, but I just love Trey Lance at, and I'm not a big measurables guy, but I mean, he's a winner. And I, I just thought you take that into effect with his athletic attributes. I just love the pick. 
That makes two of us on the podcast. They got okay. plus money. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Nice. Good call. Uh, Jenks, as you look at some of the futures for offensive and defensive rookie of the year, is there a guy in particular that's caught your eye that you like that you think maybe has some good value? Yeah, I, you know, Micah Parsons is the favorite for Dallas. And I think I'm, I don't really like the value there because it's five to one, but I can see, I mean, it's not terrible odds, but it's, it's not great. I will say that I do think he probably can be and might arguably the best defensive player in this draft. And the Cowboys can utilize him immediately. So you want a guy that's going to get in there and play. And plus, as we were talking about on the show, there might be someone like Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn, like a corner out there um, who corners are harder. Not that they can't be just as dominant, but they don't make those spectacular plays that a linebacker can make or a defensive right. lineman, you know, attack behind the line of scrimmage or a sack or something that just stands out. And those plays have more impact in the minds of the voters. But the ones I really like are on, the offensive side. I love Kyle Pitts at 12 to one. I just think, you know, he's such a, he might be the best college football tight end prospect in years and maybe ever I've heard, which is saying something. And he's going to slip right into that Atlanta offense, especially if Julio Jones stays. I think he's going to be a mismatch nightmare and at 12 to one. I understand why the quarterbacks are higher, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones and Trey Lance and those guys, but I, I think Pitts could surprise us all. I love 12 to one there. Yeah, Matt Ryan was always great when he had Tony Gonzalez, and now he's got a really yeah, good, a good tight end again. Um, now, looking at teams, everybody loves the Cleveland Browns this year. They loved them two years ago. They didn't live up to expectations. Last year, people were off them. They made it to the playoffs. This year, they're back on them, and it seems like people are betting them to win the division, the AFC, even the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. Are you riding that wave, or is there a team in specific that you like at a prop either to win their division or maybe a conference or a Super Bowl ticket. I just, you know, I just can't, I got to stay away from the Browns. I'm, I'm every, I feel like every, like I just on principle, I stay away from the Browns. But I will say this, the last couple of years, and maybe this will be the year, I mean, they are getting better. So this is not the Browns team of the past. So, I mean, they have a strong defense and Baker is coming to his own. So they, they are a good football team. Mm-hmm. But man, they've also been kind of a public darling for the past couple of years. Like, right. isn't this the year the Browns finally break through? Like, I'm kind of tired. Of, I, I need to see it first. And obviously you want to jump on it before everyone else does. But I feel like the past couple of years, the Browns, because of that potential, have been that team. You know who I really like, and I'm not being a homer here, I love Washington to win the NFC East. I can't believe – you can get them at plus 275. And the Cowboys – I don't buy the Cowboys. I know Dak is back. But people forget that before Dak left last year, they still had massive issues on defense that you know a couple of draft picks aren't going to take care of immediately. So – until I see that Dallas defense improve, I'm not getting them at plus 105. And plus, the Cowboys anywhere is such a publicly bet team. People love betting on the Cowboys. You never really get good value. Washington won the division. I understand it's a terrible division. However, they won that division last year with Dwayne Haskins starting six games. Like, think, <laughs> think about that for a second. They went one in five of those games. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm not saying this guy's going to come in and be a pro bowler, but he represents such a massive upgrade on offense. So the fact that he will keep Washington in games and you combine that with their defense, I really, I love that. And that's a team that I think a lot of people overlook. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the fact that there hasn't been a repeat NFC East winner since Brett was invented, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, it's something that it's, it's bound to happen at some point. So why not now the, the, the board is set up nicely for Washington to do so now one of the things that people in Washington were hoping for is that the Aaron Rodgers saga would send number 12 out to Washington. Yeah. Don't know if it's going to happen, but 
on that note, do you think when it's all said and done, he's under center for the Packers in week one or someone else? I think he'll work it out with the Packers. I it, I understand his frustration. I have a buddy of mine who's a, a huge Packers fan and, you know, went to Wisconsin, you know, from Wisconsin. And he was, you know, and, and he made a good point years ago, which I think people realize now is that this is why Aaron Rodgers is so upset is that the Packers for so they've never given him any help. I mean, just imagine if Aaron Rodgers had, you know, some like, and he's made, he's, you know, I know he's had Jordy Nelson over the years. His guys look good, but he has always elevated everyone around him. Just imagine if once Green Bay said, we're going to get you a Julio Jones, or we're going to get you a Mike Evans. We're going to get you a stud receiver that you can always go to, which will help open up the field. And they've never really done that. I think nine out of the last 11 years, they've chosen defensive players. And he's like, look, I'm at the end of my career. He's still, I mean, he's still as good as it gets. So it's not like he's going to retire soon, but he certainly knows time is running out and the Packers have not helped him out. So I, I understand that frustration, but I think ultimately they'll give him a bigger contract or an extension. They'll pay him more money and then they'll do something to sort of satiate his needs or whatever he thinks those needs are on offense. He could go, but I think ultimately he stays. The retort to that is he has Devontae Adams, but if you look around at the other guys, one guy's not enough. I right. mean, look at all that, the stuff that Tom Brady has, look at all the stuff that Pat Mahomes has. One guy doesn't cut it. And when Adams has unfortunately had those nagging foot injuries and yeah. injuries the last couple of years, then he's throwing to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who nobody had on their right. fantasy team. So yeah, it's like Adams is like, oh, my God, the bottom dropped out. You know, you've got to have a little more balance there. Exactly. Right. Uh, now, the NFL schedule came out yesterday or two days ago as we record this on Friday, uh, do you like them adding a 17th game for before we get into more nitty degree stuff? That no, I'm going to be such a hater. Like, I'm an old man here, I, but I hate it. I hate it because I think that – I mean, I'm someone who's always been fascinated by NFL players and what they endure, and I've talked to NFL players about it. I, You know, I've done stories on it, but these guys – I mean, it is a violent game. Everyone knows this, and I'm not one who – you know, I, that's a part of the sport. However, like there's a limit as to how much these guys can endure. And I almost every NFL player you ever meet, there are exceptions. They all have long-term issues. And some of them are really serious. And you would never even, you would never know. Like Howie Long is a good example. You see him on Fox all the time. And, you know, is obviously a Hall of Famer with the Raiders. And I remember reading about his back issues. And he was, he said, this is a direct quote from a few years ago. He was like, every day is a bad day. Every day. And so you look at how he looks great. You'd never guess. Like Joe Montana had like a retina detached and has all sorts of health issues. So these guys that are great, were great, they all have some sort of issues that, that just crush them down the line because your body can only take so much. And so just adding another game to an already violent sport in the name of money, it just, it's, it's a little much for me. I understand the players agreed to it, and it's, it's, it's great for fans because we'll just get more football and we can't get enough. But, you know, from a health player perspective, I – there's a limit as to how much you can take. And plus, guys get banged up. I mean, look at Joe Burrow last year. He comes in, he tears his ACL. Just a, it's a violent game. So I, I didn't really like it, but, you know, maybe I'm old man screaming at the clouds, no, too. <laughs> and, and from two years ago to now, for four teams, you've added two extra games because right. of Super Wild Card Weekend. Now, no buy for the two seed, and there's a seven seed. So for four teams per year, there's an extra two games now. So no, that's a great point. And also, you know, you want the quality of the, the football to be great. So, you know, at what point are guys banged up? They're tired. You're adding extra games and then you're getting a game and, but you're not getting the best football because these guys just get worn out. You see it all the time. And this is what makes the NFL go around for all the negatives. We can talk about it. 
we're still going to watch. And Doesn't my next matter. Question, my next question is, what are the games on the schedule matchup-wise that you're most looking forward to after the schedule release? Well, the one that everybody keeps talking about, which I can't wait to see, of course, is, is Pats and Bucks. And I understand, like, I was thinking about it yesterday because it's more than just, uh, uh, you know, Brady has never beaten the Patriots, the only team the NFL hasn't beaten, and, of course, beating Belichick. But I think what's going to be interesting to me is sort of the strategy here because Belichick is a defensive guy. He's a defensive mind. That's how he made a name for himself. So now he's going to scout Tom Brady. He's going to scout. <laughs> I mean, think of, he's going to say, okay, we're like for the first time in his career, he obviously knows Tom, but he's going to have to scout against Tom Brady. And conversely, Tom Brady is going to scout Bill Belichick's defense. So to me, like that sort of chess game is going to be incredible to watch because it's easy to sort of take a big picture perspective and think, well, let's see who wins this game. But man, the, the cat and mouse of, you know, Brady changing plays or Belichick changing defenses because these guys for the first time are having to scout each other, I think is going to be fascinating. And I got it on Sunday Night Football. And just when you think that the NFL schedule makers think of everything, they think of right. something even more. Uh, Matthew right. Barry put out the stat. Uh-huh. Tom Brady averages 289 passing yards per game. At that pace, he will break Drew Brees' all-time passing yards record in Foxborough Sunday Night Football in Week 4. Oh, my God. That's, that's ridiculous. Be, that's ridiculous. <laughs> no, the there's, there's some guy in NFL schedule that's like, you're not going to believe this guy. You're not going to believe what I gave him. You're not going to believe it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty wild. Um, Jenks, are you more of a Sunday Night Football guy or a Monday Night Football guy? Oh, man, that's a really good question. I think I'm probably more Monday Night Football. Okay. Oh, I mean, the Sunday Night matchups are great. I think it's just because they're um, – a, I'm old, but B, it's because the only game on Monday night. Now, I'm not a Thursday night football because, you know, midseason yeah. is like Jazz, Browns. I'm like, yeah. ah, you know, that's a hard pass for me tonight. But, uh, yeah, I think it's Monday because it's the only game there. And so Monday, even though Sunday night football is obviously increased in popularity, it's at the tail end of a day of football. So I kind of like having that one singular game on Monday night, even though you can make the argument that the Sunday night game, you know, might be just as popular, if not more so now. They say it every year when we get the Thursday, when we have the two Monday night football games to start the year, that that's what it should be the whole year instead of the Thursday game. And then yeah. ironically, we have the one Monday night game yeah. this year. They, they did away with they the They take team. it away from us right. after, a, after a year in which we had so many schedule changes and gave us multiple Monday doubleheaders and everybody wanted it. They take it away. It exactly. No exactly. So I, I don't know what's going on. At least we got uh, that stats guy figuring things out. That's true. Jenks, enough with the football talk. We know okay. how much you love playoff hockey. Yes, I do, baby. And it has arrived. You're a Caps guy. I'm a Caps guy. So, Jenks, I want you to get me feeling good here on a Friday morning. Oh, God. Are, are we – Are we? I know we have injury problems. We have some COVID issues. They're limping into the play, especially at home, which is very rare for them. Yeah. That they're losing at home. The Bruins are plus money. I didn't know if you were surprised by that. I know they've been great in the playoffs the past mm -hmm. couple of seasons, but the Caps are underdogs. Do you think if they get healthy that they could make a, a deep run this season? I think they can. I mean, listen, I'm with you. I'm a little worried. I had a discussion with a, a, a friend of mine who's like a, a crazy Caps fan, and she was kind of getting mad because I was being too down. And she's like, <laughs> they can win the series. I was like, I know they can. So I'll be positive here. Here's what I would say is that the, – What's going on right now is not helping this team. Okay, let's, I mean, that's, we can all agree. Maybe it's not the worst case scenario, but, and maybe, you know, they come together and it's fine. But, you know, the injury problems and, you know, Kuzi and, and Sammy, you know, they need to get their heads on straight. Yeah. I will say this it does help that these guys have done this before. So, you know, if there's any sort of 
any sort of silver lining, I would say, to the injuries that we've seen and sort of the, the suspension issues. It's that they've been down this road, uh, always seems to be ready to go again. So once these guys jump back in the lineup, they should be able, compared to most teams having been there before and having played together for so long, be able to sort of put it together and, uh, and go. But my, you know, what, what worries me is that they haven't been on the ice. Chemistry, it does take time, even if you know each other. So they're going to – and you can't afford to say, you know what, though, just give them a couple games. You don't have that luxury anymore. It's the playoffs. So every single game counts. I'm a little concerned, but they can beat Boston, even though they didn't match up well against them during the regular season. I, I don't mind the Caps at plus money, but they have got to come back and be hyper-focused, and they've got to do it quick because now time is out, and you're going to throw all these guys back on the ice at once, and we're going to need them to play like they've been on the ice for a couple weeks, and they haven't. So that's where I'm a little skittish, but can they do it? Yeah, they have the talent to do it and to prove in this season at times. You know, if their power play is on, if they're getting great goaltending, they can compete with anyone. It's just that what's happened recently is, is something that makes me nervous. That's a series where if you think the Caps are going to win, but you think it might take them a game to get clicking with getting guys back, yep. you hold off on a series bet because if they lose game one, plus 120 to win the series becomes plus 220 to win the series. So Completely. That and that's what I would do. I would wait. I would actually wait again. I think it's going to take a game or two for the Caps to kind of get their bearings. So I might wait again. I'm not saying they're going to lose game one, but you're not wrong there. I mean, if you – you maybe you wait, let the Caps kind of get their foot in because the Bruins are playing good hockey right now and they will come in more cohesive and maybe you get more plus money there and then you take it. So yeah, I like that idea a lot. Now the beauty of playoff hockey is we know that first round upsets are inevitable. They're going to yep. happen. Somebody's going down. So as you look at the board, who's the plus money underdog in a series bet that you really think has a chance of winning? I think it might be the Preds. Um, Ooh, wow. I don't. I don't know, but... I mean, it's tough because the end of the season isn't everything. Carolina has been, you know, resting some guys, not necessarily full strength, but they're playing great hockey. They ended that Carolina point streak. They just won two straight, just shut out those guys. And they kind of have just enough momentum where, and, and confidence and, and, you know, mental acumen in hockey is huge, where they're going into this series having just beat these guys. And again, I know it will be different because it's a playoff series and everyone will be at full strength, but at the plus money value you can get for a team that finished off the season really strong and has just finished beating Carolina pretty handily, I don't mind it. I really there's don't. Precedence. There's precedence yeah. for it. I mean, uh, Tampa yeah. Bay, Columbus, that's, that's you never know. come back to. So you, you never know. Um, when it's all said and done, it's probably the hardest postseason to handicap mm-hmm. because of what I just said, Tampa Bay, Columbus being case A through Z of that. Yeah. Uh, what is your cup final matchup, which I know is tougher to pick this year because it is, you're yeah. reseeding in the final four and stuff. Um, but maybe the better way to put it is who are your two favorite teams to, to make it uh, make a deep run any eventual champion? Man, the West is obviously harder because it's really the abs and the Knights. I mean, there's another team that can make noise, but I think I think this is Vegas this year. I think they finally break through and, and when they have dominated, they have dominated, you know. So I like the Golden Knights to finally get through. I love the Lightning. I'm still going with the Lightning to repeat because, you know, we tend to forget that Stamkos has been out for a month. They get Nikita Kucherov back. So just imagine an already super talented team that's just kind of been hanging around getting two guys like that back on the ice. I, and plus I have a future on those guys. I got them a while back. And so the odds dipped. And I know it's tough to repeat. It's, it's so tough to repeat as cup champions, but they strike me. They have so much talent on that roster from top to bottom. They strike me as a team that kind of got through the regular season. They weren't at full strength. They're about to be at full strength. And then all of a sudden, 
they become that team, especially after a couple of games, if they can get through the first round, they become that team in the East. And suddenly you say, man, all of a sudden the Lightning look as good as they did last year. So I'm on Tampa. It's understood as a one-off, but I'm so looking forward to hopefully having matchups in the Final Four and the Cup that we can never see in a normal year. Yep. So like a, a Vegas Capitals in the Final Four and then a, a Capitals Maple Leafs. Well, Maple Leafs are never getting there, but uh, it's <laughs> true. Like, like matchups that you cannot have in a normal year. I'm really looking forward. I hope it happens. And like, like a Hurricanes Capitals Stanley Cup final, that would be incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazing, right? So I, that's going to be really cool how they do that. I, it's been weird to sort of adjust to like the new format, but we could see something like that. And I mean, it'd be cool, right? It'd be different and, 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 and as weird as things have been over the past year, you know, I'm, I'm okay with just the two best teams going at it. Of course. Of I love course. it. Well, I'm so glad it's here. It's here. It's here and that's it. Um, you remember from the first time we got the Swift 7 and the trivia questions. So without further ado, we get into it. Number one, uh, your NBA Finals matchup. Oh, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Brooklyn out of the East, which I know is chalk, but I mean, ultimately, once they, you know, they get Kyrie and KD and, and Harden, I just don't know how they're gonna be beaten. In the West, I'm gonna go with the Clippers. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna hope. This is more hope than it is. For, I, I, the Lakers. I know everybody wants to jump on the Lakers, but man, they're they're not playing good basketball right now. And even when they get AD and LeBron back, those guys are not 100. Whatever's going on with LeBron, he, I mean, I understand LeBron at 75, 80 is better than 90 percent of the people uh, in the NBA, but still, I worry about injury issues with those guys, and they have not played together much. So I'm, you know, I'm bearish on on the Lakers. So I'm going Clippers. I think the Clippers are a team that we haven't talked about. And we're so, and I understand why. Last year they were so disappointing in a year that they were supposed to get it done and built to win, and they didn't get it done. I felt like we kind of sleep on them. And so, as, as good as the Jazz advantage as the Nugs have been, I think ultimately, you know, come playoff time, I want Kawhi and PG to be on the court. And I think I, I like the Clippers, so I'm going Clippers Nets. Uh, number two, if you had a vote for NBA MVP, who would you give it to? would probably give it I'd give it to Jokic I mean I, I just because of games play I think Embiid has been more dynamic based on whenever he's played he's been the more dominant player but you, you can't miss time like he's had and and then and then expect to win you do have to play more games and Joker's been awesome out there but, and has obviously put up great numbers as well so I think all things being equal you have to give it to uh Nikola Jokic all right, number three, what's the earliest that you'll put a week one NFL bet in now that the odds are out already? Oh, that's a good question. I will probably wait because uh, the lines are already moving, which is just insane to me. That just goes <laughs> to show how dominant the NFL is as far as the sports betting space yes. is. The futures are changing. The, the Bucks are already, you know, being bet on week one against the Cowboys. It's just insane. I will probably – I like to watch line movement and and – see where I can get some value. And every now and then I'll jump on a bet and I'll say, okay, this line seems off to me. I'm going to hop on this right now. But more often than not, I like to, because I spend way too much time looking at individual games where I want to see where the money's going. I want to see where the line movement is. And then based on that line movement, where I think I have value. So I will actually probably wait until a couple weeks before. All right. Uh, number four, Stanley Cup playoffs. Where does it rank among the best postseasons in all of sports? Ooh, man, that's a good And that one. includes March Madness. Includes okay. March Madness. Oh, okay. Mm. I feel like it's it might be one or two. It's it's tough just because playoff. It's I try to explain this to people. Playoff hockey, first of all, is the most unpredictable. B, it's so exciting because the margin of error is so thin. And then C, you have puck luck, which is the. I mean, 
a puck going off someone's skate or someone's helmet or trickling in off a dashboard can change a series. You know, like, like you can have sometimes you'll be in a series. We've seen this before with the Caps before they won the cup when the, the, the puck just wouldn't bounce their way. Do you know what I mean? Like there would be something that would happen. You'd be like, preach jinx. You know Preach. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I'm telling you when, when, when we won the cup and first of all, when Kuzi scored that goal against the fans and we won that series, I was like, we're winning the cup this year. Like I, I was like, we are winning. The cup. And even then, like, you know, hopefully making the saber, everything just kind of fell for the caps. If that makes sense, it all kind of came together. And I was like, for the first time, we're getting the breaks. We're the ones where the, it, everything's just kind of going our way. And that doesn't really happen in any other sport because it's not like, oh, man, if, if that basketball hadn't gotten caught on the rim and then, you know, it, it just doesn't happen where the actual ball that you're playing with can, you know, ricochet off something and completely change the dynamic of a series. So I think it's one or two. March Madness is tough to beat as well. And um, But as far as playoff runs go, there's something about Stanley Cup hockey that I feel is just, just kind of a cut above. I think you're right on the money. They're one and two, and then I think there's a gap, honestly. Those two yeah. have kind of separated themselves. Um, you're right about the puck luck, though. I don't know if you remember in the Stanley Cup final against Vegas, James Neal had, like, a wide-open goal, and he hit the post. Yes. And I'm like, the the hockey gods, I don't know what right. we did this year, but that's finally, I just summed it up. Great point. Now, Great you, point. Just, you just brought up uh, the number five question. Uh, both instances, what was your favorite Caps moment from the cup run? Was it the Koozie goal versus Pittsburgh or the whole same versus Vegas? It was the Koozie goal. Like, I, I love Koozie, but I'm not thrilled with the way he's acting recently. But it was, <laughs> there was, it was just the call, like the, you know, the breakaway and the fact that we were getting past the pens. And, man, that was the first time, honestly. And I, you know, I always get pessimistic because I get disappointed and I don't want to set my hopes too high. But I'm telling you, when I remember I was at Ten Quarter Sports Tavern and then he breaks away and he scores. And at first I didn't see the I didn't know it was a goal. It's kind of like delayed reaction. And I saw him flapping his, you know, arms. And there was such a release. I, I it just hit me. I'm like, we're winning the cup this year. Like I this is what we needed. It's the perfect moment for it. We're winning the cup. And that to me is just the seminal moment where there were some amazing moments in, you know, against Vegas, but that was the one time where it was just my favorite moment. I'm with you. Uh, New Texas head coach you're more excited about, Sark or Chris Beard? Ooh, uh, I would say Sark just because I think Beard is more of a proven commodity. You know, Sark has had his chance before and it didn't really work out. But he's, you know, I think he's a different guy now based on everything I've read. He's battling alcohol before addiction, and he's been very open about that. So I'm not saying anything that, you know, people who follow him aren't familiar with. But I think he finally – I think Texas may have finally – I know they flirted with Urban Meyer for a long time. And that was really close, which I'm kind of glad that didn't happen because I'm not a huge Urban fan personally. But I think they got the right guy. And, you know, this whole all gas, no breaks mentality where Texas, I've been so frustrated. Like, I'm ready for Texas to start airing it out instead of this let's win 22 to 20 under Tom Herman. It's just been, it's been hard to watch. And I'm ready to sit back and enjoy some Texas football again where it's, it's more free form and more modern uh, because I think, you know, Tom Herman with more of a smash mouth spread, which kind of works in the Big Ten, but doesn't necessarily work in the SEC or the Big Ten, so or Big 12, I should say. So I'm, I'm really excited about Sark. And then last question of the Swift 7, the NBA play-in tournament. Do you love it or do you hate it? Uh, you know, at first I hated it, but I've kind of come around to it a little bit where it's made things a little – if you, if you gave me a choice, I would probably say I want to go back to the – you know, traditional way of doing things because it does create a lot of sort of 
I mean, is the 10 seed, I mean, all right, maybe the 10 seed can hop up to the eight to get smashed by the one seed. I don't know. You know, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I suppose it can happen and, and maybe it makes things a little more exciting. But I also think that, you know, and we're seeing this across a lot of sports, right? Slowly leagues like that start to expand. It's when to add a game here, playing game there, or maybe a wild card spot here. And, and that's okay. It adds interest, but I, you have to be careful about not watering down what it means to make the postseason. I also right. think that you should be rewarded because you made the postseason, not because guess what? Every team makes the, the playoffs and then the bottom four will, you know, will, will have a play in game and then they take care of a playing game with someone else. Like there's a limit there. So I'm not opposed to it, but if you ask me to make a choice, I would probably say, let's go back to sort of the traditional way of doing it. There's some things that maybe need to be tweaked. Like if the, if the nine and the 10 are more than like six games away, like if right. there's that big of a gap, maybe there's no playing. But like at the end of the day for me, if it were seven, 10 and eight, nine, where the seven and eight could both fall out, unfortunately for them after right. a long season, I wouldn't like it. But because it's seven versus eight and that winner is in, and then it's eight versus the winner of nine, 10, worst case scenario, you're only coughing up the eight seed. Sure. And find me the last time an eight seed even like pulled more than one game off the one seed. So well, that's my issue. The, yeah, you're, you're playing for the right to get smashed by the one seed. And what it's done is it's made us actually care about the last three weeks of an NBA season like we haven't in years. Because, you know, all this stuff with Luka and LeBron and the battle to stay out of right. it and the Wizards. If this were another year, we wouldn't have cared about the Wizards the last three or four weeks. That's true. It, it kept us more engaged in what is the what is traditionally the weakest aspect of the NBA calendar. We love the offseason. We love the postseason. It's the regular season that gets kind of left in the dust. So uh, for me, for that, because you're only affecting which team gets slaughtered by the one seed in the end, uh, I was okay with it. But I there are some things that certainly need to be tweaked because no, that's you, can't a have, you can't have a team that's 10 games back of the nine seed, but they're like, oh, hey, we're the 10, you know? It's so. essentially right. the uh, the 16 seed playing game in the tournament. Play each other and then go get smashed right. by yeah. Gonzaga, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, Jenks. Trivia. Uh, I can't remember, actually, PJ. You, did, did Jenks get it last time? I meant Probably to not. Back and look. I'm terrible at trivia. Terrible. I don't remember. Uh, did we give him? I feel like we gave him a Texas football question. We should have looked this up. Remember, we I don't know, but it's no, playoff I, hockey this time, James. It's and and it's time. caps related. And I won't get it. Right. <laughs> I'm terrible. All right, there are five Eastern Conference teams in the Ovechkin era that the Capitals have never played in the playoffs. Can you name three of them? Mm. Three teams, Eastern Conference, that they've never played in the Ovechkin era. They've never played. You mean in, in, in the playoffs, right? Okay. So, yeah. God, probably yeah, 90 no. seconds or three strikes. All right, here we go. Let's go. Uh, they played the Lightning. Is that one? And beat they, them to get to the have... cup. <laughs> what's, what's that? Oh, we beat, beat them. beat them to <laughs> get to the cup. <laughs> I told you I'm terrible to start. I'm like, oh, yeah, we beat them on the way. I forgot. I was so pens focused. I'm like, oh, yeah, we beat the Lightning too. Uh, I would say no. Uh, who else? No. Flyers? Yeah, played play the, the Flyers. Flyers. God. <laughs> Panthers. There you That's go. One They've never, never played, played the play. That's the only ever. team that the Capitals franchise has never, ever played. Yeah, the <laughs> other the other teams they've played, but not in the Ovechkin era. The Panthers, they've straight up never played in the playoffs. Let's see. Who else? Oh, man. So, no. Think the dregs of the Eastern Conference. Devils? Devils. There you go. <laughs> and uh, Sabres? 
Savers nice. are one of them. There you go. <laughs> well, you done. said drags. I was like, okay, now I'm yeah, <laughs> that was that was the best hit I could give you. Uh, I was like, three. okay, now because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking of the teams that are competitive instead of thinking, you know, yeah, trash of the East. Those are that, that steers you in the right direction. The other two then were the Red Wings and the Senators, but you got uh, the three we, that oh we asked God. for. It was yeah, literally all of gotten. the worst teams in the Eastern Conference that they have. <laughs> I would have never thought of the centers. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll forget about Ottawa on a regular basis anyway. Which, <laughs> which is surprising to me because for hockey, the way it's cyclical and you never really go too long without sucking in, in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, for all the teams that are still the worst to be the ones that the Caps have never played was kind of surprising to me. But hey, yeah, that's uh, interesting. I guess some of these teams just can't get that's it right. a good trivia question. They, I think this is the second time, too, they're playing the Bruins ever in the over the era. Could be the third, but I think yeah, it's the second. 2000, they played them in 2012. Yeah, Joel Ward, baby, had that OT game winner. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was so fun. For, for, as, for as often as they battled in the regular season, that they, they just don't meet in the playoffs. And that's partly because of the switch to the uh, Metro and Atlantic model where they could only play in the conference final. But uh, – but yeah, this is going to be a postseason of new, fresh matchups. We could get that first ever Panthers Capitals matchup in the uh, Final Four potentially. So yeah. a lot, a lot to look forward to. It could, yeah, it's going to be crazy, man. I'm, I'm excited because I'm ready for, I'm ready for some playoff hockey. Like it's, it's about that time, and plus, I need these guys to get focused. I need all this, whatever's going on with this. I know health is something they can't help, but as far as you know, like I said, with, with Samsonov and, and Kuzi, you know, not being on their best behavior, like it's time to get on the same page because we got a playoff series to win. And one of the silver linings this year of the season starting a little bit later, usually by now we're already halfway through the postseason. Yeah. And it overlaps with draft season and the start of baseball, so it takes some of the luster away. Baseball is past the beginning. We're into yep. the, to the long stretch. The NFL draft is behind us, so it is playoff hockey, playoff basketball, standalone for the next two months. Starting I'm ready to go. Ready to yeah. go. Uh, Jenks, we can't thank you enough for joining us again. Uh, busy schedule. You always give us a time. We appreciate that. Best of luck as By the Book continues to get going. And hope you do get that show down at the Sportsbook, like you said earlier. I'm ready. Boys, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thank Jenks. You. Once again, that was Michael Jenkins, kind enough to join us for a second time. Always great to see Jenks. Joe, I was actually down at Capital One Arena yesterday. Checked out the new Sportsbook. Very nice. Ted Leonsis, uh, there's a reason he's a billionaire. He knows how to make money. He knows what he's doing. That book will be crowded, especially with the Caps in the playoffs, the Wizards virtually uh, making it to the playing game. They just need one more win or they need the, uh, the Bulls to lose. They'll be in. Um, and then D.C. announced that if they make deep runs into the postseason, they could have some fans in that arena. So the sports book would be jumping. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the exacts were, but I know coming up shortly, it's supposed to go to 25%. So. And I don't know if, if Joe Beninati or Craig Lachlan made a mistake on the Caps broadcast or if I misheard them, but I heard them say that if the Caps get to June – they could have 100% capacity. Correct. 11th, I think. June 11th. June 11th. I believe, wow. Okay, I that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. When they heard that, like, my ears perked up, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. No, I saw that on um, Twitter. I did a double take. I'm like, uh, like, 100, 100? Yeah. Well, yeah, so yep. uh, the awesome. mayor, Muriel Bowser. And, so, and that's, know, that'd be great. that's not too deep into the playoffs either because the first round starts the 15th for the Caps and for other divisions. Now, the Canadian North Division doesn't start till the night uh, – the 22nd because their regular season because of the Canucks ends on the 19th. So it's going to be a weird thing where you're going to have some regular season still going on while the playoffs have begun. Right. But uh, 
that puts the Caps, if their first-round series goes seven against the Bruins, and they win, of course, um, the 15th, that's going to put it to about the end of May. So possibly for game six or seven of the second-round series, they would, uh, they would have 100% capacity. That's awesome. That is great to know. Let's talk about uh, the NHL, those, some of the first-round matchups, though. Uh, we asked Jenks about it towards the end. I'm looking at some of these first-round series, and you know the landscape of the NHL better than I do. But personally, I was a little surprised that Boston was favored over Washington and that they had pretty good juice on them, minus 165. The Caps are the home team in the series. They struggle at home down the stretch. But the fact that they've had Boston's number really, I mean, for a while now, they've only met one time in the playoffs in the Ovechkin era, I believe, maybe two. 2012, yeah. Yeah, and they beat. 2012, and then before that, you got to go all the way back to 1998, I believe. So it's Okay, yeah. So they usually play Boston well. That one surprised me. Um, You know, the Penguins being favorites, no shock. The Lightning, the Hurricanes, no shock. The Leafs um, and then the Oilers, no shot. But Boston being a favorite uh, was was pretty surprising to me. So, do you think the Caps are the underdog that you would take, or is there another team? So it's come down from what you said, I believe, at one sixty five. I'm looking at it right now. Bruins minus one thirty eight, Caps plus one twelve. Um, I would say it's about right, just because of the injuries surrounding the Capitals where, all right, Ovechkin just came back and he looked fine the other day, but he did miss seven of eight before that one game. Backstrom was a game time decision, but he's fine. Oshie, they don't know if they're going to have Oshie for the first few games of the series. Um, so there, there's some issues there. And, and the big thing looming on the back end, which is why I think the Bruins get the slight nod is the goaltending situation. Tuka Rask has 93 playoff starts and he's been in the thick of things with the Bruins. He's got 51 playoff wins. Vitek Vanacek, a rookie with a whopping zero in both columns. And even if it's Samsonov in the end, Samsonov, zeros in both columns. So that plays a big role in it. Um, True. I would say that if you think Boston's going to win the series, one of my favorite things to do come playoff time in the NHL is series bets after game one or game two. Um, if you think the Bruins are going to win, I don't love the 138 number. I personally have the Caps through in six. But if you think the Bruins are going to win, give it game one, let the Caps come out and win game one at home, and then pounce on the series number mm. because then it'll flip the other way. But I think to start the series, just because of the questions looming over the Caps, the odds are probably right where they should be. And again, I would pick the Caps. And as far as, like you said, um, underdogs in the first round that we like by virtue of that they are the one that i do like i don't really like any of the other ones carolina should probably sweep or beat the president four or five um same thing with toronto against montreal no issues there edmonton and winnipeg could be interesting uh just because edmonton still plays zero defense and uh it's just a matter of can the guys who are always hot in mcdavid and drive side will stay hot I think the answer to that question is yes, but Edmonton probably gets pushed to a six game. The other one that interests me as far as some strategic betting, the Panthers and Lightning. I, I thought was the just going to say. Be, I thought the, the Lightning would be much larger favorites. They're minus 146. 
And if you've been in tune to that matchup, down the stretch, they had some bad blood. If you thought the Rangers and the Capitals had some bad blood down the stretch, the Panthers and the Lightning went at it too. And they played each other the last couple games of the regular season leading into the postseason. Mm. Um, similar to what the Bruins and Caps did playing the last game of the year. Right. But granted, that was the Bruins AHL team. They scratched 15 starters. So uh, <laughs> not quite the same thing. But the Lightning and the Panthers, I wouldn't be stunned, especially what we've seen from the Panthers where they got swept by the Blue Jackets. And when the Blue Jackets last year in game one took them to five overtimes, um, the Lightning will win the series. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Panthers steal game one. So another one where I would hold off on it because 146 doesn't do it for minus 146 doesn't do it for me. But if the Panthers win game one, you're probably looking at even odds on the Lightning. And that's a good time to pounce. So that's another one where wait till game two uh, on the Lightning there. And then the last series, the, the, the Penguins and the Islanders, the Islanders have really limped into the playoffs and – had the Rangers not struggled the way they did down the stretch with all the injuries, there was a decent chance the Rangers could have caught the Islanders in the end. Um, I will never know because of the injuries the Rangers had and whatnot, but uh, the Penguins, I, I don't think have any, I, I would be surprised, honestly, if the Islanders take that to six games and the Islanders have been a feisty team who made it to the conference final two years ago and uh, pushed past the caps last year. I think, the Penguins make very, very quick work of them. The Islanders will be the trendy pick upset, I think, because of Trotz. He's made the Stanley Cup and then the Eastern Conference Finals last two playoffs. The Caps also. I'm with you on the Panthers, though. I know nothing about the Florida Panthers, but just looking at this matchup from a betting perspective, there's a lot to like with Florida. The fact that their odds aren't great and people are going to see the Lightning at only minus 140, 150, people are going to pounce on that. But mm-hmm. I think you got the Stanley Cup hangover effect. You got the fact that Florida's not a sexy team at all, and nobody really knows them, and the Lightning have all their weapons. Um, but to me, Florida is – that that could be an upset for sure. Last thing I'll ask you about uh, the NHL playoffs before we move on to football, the best division in hockey all year has been the East Division. The best two teams in hockey, though, are Colorado and Vegas. So if you were taking – would you take the Eastern Division? Would you take the Bruins, Caps, Islanders, or Penguins to win the Cup? Or would you take the field? So my preseason picks, which did decently, um, I had the Oilers winning the division. They came in second. I had the Capitals winning the division. They lost on a tiebreaker against the Penguins. And I had the Hurricanes. Remember, that was my main pick, the Hurricanes winning that division over the Lightning because the Lightning would kind of coast as right. the season went along, and they won it. So – I'm not changing my preseason pick now. And my preseason pick was Avalanche over Capitals in six in the Stanley Cup final. Sticking to it. So with that being said, to your question, I go with the Avs. Now I have a team from the East getting there. Right. But I have Avs over Caps in six. Yeah, that East division, man. I mean, any one of those teams uh, could be dangerous to make it. All right, thanks again to Jenks. It was nice having a guy who enjoys hockey be able to talk some of that. I'll never forget that clip, man. I'll never forget that clip from the old CSN. uh, Oh, when he's holding the iced tea or whatever, ranting? Yeah, when it was supposed to be some alcohol, but it was iced (laughs) tea. But still, it was a great great bit that will live on forever. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Hockey Jenks is the best Jenks, and, and I will stick to that forever.
And Hockey Jenks makes himself and people that listen to him quite a bit of money. So uh, I would oh, take and, his and very, advice. Of course. And very, very quick before we transition, since we had the week off last week and all that happened with the Rangers firing everybody, um, I had no issues with it. I coincidentally, like a month before, or yeah, when I moved down to Florida, my dad helped me move in. I had this whole conversation with him one day just at the beach, chilling in the ocean um, for like an hour and relaxing. Uh, I said that the Rangers should do whatever they can to keep Chris Drury in the fold and firing John Davidson and Jeff Gordon was maybe drastic, but it did what I wanted, which is keep Chris Drury in the fold and they have him in charge now. So it looked very bad optically. I have no issues with what they did. And now it just comes down to nailing the head coach hire. I would lean towards Gerard Gallant as the main guy I want, if not Claude Julien. And if not, I would not be opposed to a reunion with Tortorella. <laughs> oh, man. We'll see how it goes. But just wanted to put that out there because we did not have an episode last week uh, for my Rangers take on that. Yes. Um, all right. So now some NFL talk. Uh, before we get into the draft, the schedule came out last night. They dropped the week one full slate in the morning. And then there were some leaks that trickled out throughout the day. And then we got everybody's full schedule at eight o'clock eastern time at night so just looking at week one when you got the schedule what is your favorite game on the slate my favorite game in terms of just viewing it i'm very obviously biasly excited for jets panthers they gave us that darnold rematch (laughs) right away they did Uh, so i'm looking forward to that Um, in terms of actually really good game the obvious choice to me Without knowing what the case is with Aaron Rodgers, of course, because otherwise Packers Saints is pretty attractive. Um, Without knowing that, it's got to be Chiefs Browns. I mean, coming into the season, the the big four teams that people perceive in the AFC are the Chiefs, the Browns, the Bills, and the Ravens. So you're getting two of those teams right out of the gates. Uh, That that's a very very attractive matchup for me. That's a good matchup. Um, I love the Steelers-Bills matchup mm. because the Steelers are a team that are they're great to start the year, and then they've kind of faded down the stretch the last couple of years. And Buffalo takes them a little bit to get going in the beginning of the year, and then they hit their stride. So you kind of have the opposites of two teams, and you have Pittsburgh, who's really been knocked on this offseason, versus Buffalo, who keeps getting praised. I think that could be a great game. Even the opener, you know, Dallas versus Tampa. We'll see how Tampa responds after the Super Bowl and all that stuff. And it's a big year for Dallas. Dak's coming off the injury. He, you know, obviously wants to get worth that contract. Dallas's defense couldn't be any worse than in his last year, so we'll see if it gets better. Um, those games, a sneaky good game could be Seattle and Indy. Mm. Um, Carson Wentz's uh, his first game as a Colt reunites with Frank Wright that could be a very interesting game the NFL is really smart though Joe I mean because you you talk about the Jets Panthers matchup if they play that game in week nine doesn't matter but you put it week one or Darnold goes against his former team right and all of a sudden and and the thing with those two teams is and, and this is why I'm surprised I guess maybe in hindsight it makes a little bit of sense but um the the thing with the Panthers and the Jets the Panthers I haven't really gotten too deep into a prognosis for them yet. I could see them winning maybe nine games, but I got to look more into it. 
The Jets probably come in around seven and ten, and I have to get used to saying the new record numbers. No more seven and nine, or they'll probably come in around seven and ten. So if that matchup is in like week thirteen, and one team is six and eight, and or whatever six and seven, and the other team is five and eight, like it's not as attractive. And and right. who knows if Darnold how he's playing? If he's playing well, then it's a good matchup. If he's not, then who cares? So he had to get that one out of the but way. Week one, that's what yeah, I was saying that's... before. So what I was saying before, just Jaguars in week 16? I mean, that to me screamed like week three Thursday night football between the number True. one pick and the number two pick. Yes. I was very surprised at where they buried that game the day after Christmas. But it's one of those things where I guess they anticipate neither team will be in playoff contention. And people will still watch it, though, in week 16 to see Lawrence against Wilson. So maybe it does make sense to save it for later in the year. Uh, if the teams don't have great records, because it, it sells itself just based on the one versus two. So I guess it could make sense. But I was surprised at how late it was. The other things that I love they did, um, some of the college matchups. So you have Miami versus New England. That could very easily be two versus Mac. You right. have Jacksonville versus Houston. We'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson. I'd be very surprised if he plays week one, but you could have a Clemson reunion there. And then I thought they missed the chance to have San Francisco versus Indy where you could have had Wentz versus oh, Lance true. and the North Dakota State guys. But Jimmy G probably starts week one. And then the other thing they did, they put Green Bay and New Orleans at 425. And they also put Denver at the Giants at 425. Fox is covering themselves so that if Rodgers goes to Denver, that'll right. still be America's game of the week. Good and uh, so I thought those little scheduling quirks that they did, the NFL knows what they're doing. They're an entertainment yes. business yes. and uh, they know. So I, now, I uh, now from an odd standpoint, yeah, uh, anything jump out at you as like, get it now because that's great yes. value that might shift. Three games actually that caught my eye very much. The first one uh, is Kansas City and Cleveland. The reason I didn't pick it as the game I'm most excited to is I don't really think it's going to be close. Andy Reid, we know his record off a of bye, and week one's essentially a bye. Yeah, because- his week one record is stellar. Patrick Mahomes, all he's done in September in his career – 10-0, 32 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Not too shabby. And we know the Browns week one, their track record, their last two week one games. Uh, I remember last year they lost to the Ravens. They got killed. It was like 30-something to seven, 34-7 maybe. And then Very the week, slow starters. Very and then the, slow week, the year before that against Tennessee when they had all that hype coming in, they lost by 22. So the Browns mm-hmm. just aren't a good week one team. Kansas That's one of City's, my – that's one of my good value picks in advance as well. So Kansas City uh, minus six under the touchdown. Absolutely. I have it at minus right five now. and a half. So it's even better. You get the six. Anything under a touchdown, if you can get it even at six and a half, absolutely all over that. The other game, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. The things I was just talking about, the fact that the Steelers start fast, the Buffalo doesn't start fast. Plus six, too many points. The Bills are the better team. They probably win, but six is way too many points. And then the third game that caught my eye was Tennessee and Arizona, especially at the two and a half, getting it at a field goal. The way Tennessee plays Lamar Jackson, they do it better than anybody. And with Kyler Murray being that same athletic quarterback, defensively, I just think that they'll really they'll clamp him down pretty well. And it's week one, so Derrick Henry will be fresh. He'll be ready to go. No wear and tear that you would get week 15, right. week 16. 
Um, so the fact that it's two and a half and you can get it at that field goal, those are the three games that, that I like. Good calls. The Chiefs are one of the ones I like as well. The other one I like, Rams minus seven against the Bears. Chicago is going to be a dumpster fire this year, and the Rams are probably, honestly, the most complete team in football on paper. Now with Stafford in the fold, uh, that to me as a home game, Sunday night football for the Rams screams like two touchdown or more win. Um, so I like that one. Uh, Giants as a one-point dog against the Broncos. I don't know if that line is as close as it is just because they don't know yet on Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers. Um, but the Giants are not a horrible football team. The Broncos without Aaron Rodgers could be a horrible football team. So I, you give me plus money with the Giants, I'm going to take that and then just hope that Aaron Rodgers doesn't go there. And then the, the last one for me, um, another dog by one point, the Washington football team home against the Chargers. Yes. The Chargers got to go West Coast to East Coast to start the season. And we're talking about, on paper, arguably the best defensive football this year or one of the best. And with Fitzpatrick throwing to McLaurin and Samuel, their offense is going to put up some points this year, unlike last year. So I like the Washington football team as a dog as well. So those were a couple that stuck out to me. I'm with you. Washington was another one that, uh, that I liked as well. Yeah. All good picks. Look, if there's games that you like Kansas city, especially, I mean, you're not going to get a number better than five and a half, six. So if you like them, I just go ahead and bet call them. those long-term right. investments. You put it down now, you wait till September. We're four months away. Actually, almost exactly four months because it's September 12th. We're on May 13th recording this. So that's exactly right. Well, last week we were off, so we really didn't get to recap the draft. So as we now look at offensive rookie of the years, defensive rookie of the years, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. The four, the top, the top four quarterbacks, as you would imagine, are the big favorites: Lawrence Fields, Lance Wilson. So I'll ask you two questions. One, do you think the offensive rookie of the year comes out of that group? And two, beyond those guys, if you had to pick somebody, who would it be? So I, I write off Trey Lance because I don't think he's going to start, Same. and if he does, it won't be the whole season. So right. I write him off. Um, Mac Jones, I write off just because I think if he does start, he's going to be more of a game manager. Um, and again, that's if he starts, I think he will, but can't trust. Him. So I look at it as three quarterbacks. Um, the bears are going to be too bad and fields is going to struggle. He's going to have some growing pain. So I take him off the board. Lawrence, again, I don't know if the team around him is good enough. He could elevate it and he could put up some big numbers. So obviously he's in the equation. Wilson, homerism aside as a Jets fan, is interesting to me because they did finally what they didn't do with Darnold, and that's actually build a young offense around the rookie quarterback. They took Elijah Moore, love that pick. They just signed Corey Davis. They have Denzel Mims, who looked great, second-round pick from last year. They drafted Elijah Vera Tucker to put on the left side with Makai Becton. So Zach Wilson's not getting touched from the left side. Um under the radar pickup, Kenny Yaboa, undrafted free agent tight end from Ole Miss, put up some really gaudy numbers at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his numbers were right below Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth, and he went undrafted mostly because 
He's a little bit raw. He doesn't block well, but as an athletic tight end who will be good receiving and, and offensively in that aspect, um, you put him in there with Chris Herndon who came alive and all of a sudden you're looking around, Jamison Crowder is still there and you're like, all right, Zach Wilson, he's got some dudes around him. Like he could, he could actually make some noise and you bring in the fact that um, they've got Mike LaFleur as the offensive coordinator and they drafted Michael Carter. So he's got a legitimate running back behind him. If we're talking supporting casts for the rookie quarterbacks, uh, Trey Lance has the best supporting cast hands down. But again, we don't know if he's going to start right away. Outside of that, Zach Wilson's got the best supporting cast. So Zach Wilson at plus 700 on a team that probably goes six and 11, seven and 10. He's in the conversation. Um, but I look towards Kyle Pitts. You know, he, we, he was the best non quarterback in the draft. He's at plus 1300. He's going to get a lot of rub in that Falcons offense, especially like you said in our draft preview, thinking back to what Matt Ryan did with Tony Gonzalez and thinking about how Arthur Smith uses the tight ends like we saw uh, in Tennessee. He's going to get a lot of love. And then the other one for me, Najee Harris, another one that you knew was coming and you said it two weeks ago, and he's going to do a lot of damage in that Steelers offense. So from the quarterbacks, I would go with Zach Wilson. Um, Beyond that, Kyle Pitts and Najee Harris stuck out. And I honestly personally would handicap it as Wilson, Pitts, Harris, and then the rest of the quarterbacks. Because I just don't love the situations for the other quarterbacks. They could all be great players, and I think they will. But just in terms of the rookie of the year debate, the Jaguars aren't going to be good, and they don't have any weapons for Lawrence. And I, like I said, Fields, a lot of growing pains. Lance Jones might not start enough to get it. So, so that's why it comes down to that for me. I'm, I'm with you, actually. If I had to rank those top four guys, Wilson would be one. Fields would be my number two, just because I don't mm-hmm. think Jacksonville's going to be good at all. And I right. think Fields starts, and I think he has a chance to put up numbers at least. And then Lance, same thing. Lance might not play the whole year, maybe. So you just don't know with him. Najee was going to be my non-top quarterback guy. Um I just mentioned, I mean, he's going to be, they're going to use him like they did Le'Veon. He's a great receiver. He's a great running back. And with the way they threw Ben last year, they know they're going to have to kind of get back to old Steeler football and try to lean on that running game a little bit. As for the receivers, um, if I had to pick a guy, Pitts, you know, I love Pitts, but with Julio and Calvin there, the Falcons just, they spread it around so well and everybody puts up monster numbers It'll kind of be tough for him to separate himself, I would say. Chase would be the easy pick just because he's reuniting with Burrow. But then again, I mean, Cincinnati just has nobody to protect them, so you don't know how right. many chances he'll get. I I love the fit with, uh, with Devontae Smith in Philly. I think if, you know, with him and Hurts reuniting – Philly's been looking for that receiver, that big play guy that can take over ever since Deshaun Jackson's heyday. And Alshon Jeffrey had his moments. Travis Fulgham had a nice little stretch there in the season. But Smitty can be that guy that they, they've been missing for a long time. So at plus 1,600, he could, he could be some good value. Um, but I'm with you. Wilson, there's a lot to like with him if he can stay healthy. He could definitely uh, he could definitely win it, but I would stay away from Lance and Lawrence, especially at plus three hundred. Just not good enough value. Not good value. They're not going to be good. He doesn't have a lot of weapons. It's just one of those where you get caught up in the name and the number one pick aspect of it. 
but it's just not your best. Bet. It, it's similar last year to Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Now, had Joe Burrow not gotten hurt, he would have been in the conversation, but Herbert was the clear-cut winner last year. Uh, Lawrence is going to be in the conversation, you would imagine, but you just look at the weapons he has and how bad the team could be, and it's probably going to go to a guy like Wilson or something like that who's on a little bit better team with a better supporting cast who probably puts up better numbers, and that's just how it goes. But, um, hey, I got to pat myself on the back. I, ha- I went six for six in the first six picks. I was very happy with that. I was very happy with that. And then it went off the rails from there. We don't want to talk as about it, that. As but, it uh, usually does. I mean, that's why they make all that, these that, mocks and pick that's why, that's why we limited it at ten at the top 10, because anything else beyond that was dumb, even though you did nail Najee Harris at 24. So there you go. Um, I tried. One thing from draft night that stuck out to me, and it's going to transition us into this Aaron Rodgers conversation very well. Um, the Broncos taking Patrick Sertan at nine. That was interesting to me because mm-hmm. they did need, they could use a corner. Everybody could always use a corner. Sure. But when they were on the clock, Kuiper, all the guys at the desk, anybody who's looking at it on Twitter, they were like, all right, Micah Parsons here. They need a linebacker, maybe a, maybe a Rashawn Slater. They could use some offensive line help. Do they take one of the quarterbacks? And in all of that, take a corner. Aaron Rodgers and that potential deal what is the Packers one of their biggest needs corner the Packers took a corner at 30 and it was kind of a developmental corner and 29 excuse me Eric Stokes not quite someone who was penciled in as a day one starter it was right. a little bit of a surprise that he went in the first round so that kind of got my wheels turning a little bit you think of all the the things involved here all the balls up in the air as we try to juggle this situation the trade for Rodgers would have to happen after June 1st because of the cap aspect of it so they couldn't have pulled the trigger on the draft day trade so did the broncos make that pick with the intention of sertan's going to be in the deal this is all probably just speculation that's going to come out in the wash as nothing but that was one thing that intrigued me on draft night and uh and and it it spills into the rogers conversation in a moment but before we get to that anybody's draft in particular that you really like I hate to say it, but the Cleveland Browns, they, uh, the past couple of years, they've killed it in the draft. To get Newsom, who was one of my favorite corners out of Northwestern, really solid, was a good pick. And then Jeremiah, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, I mean, to get him in the 50s, there was talk that he was dropping because people were comparing him to that athletic hybrid, like an Isaiah Simmons type, and he was struggling to fit in with Arizona and people just weren't sure where he would fit in in the NFL. And I'm like, that's a coaching problem. If the dude can play, yeah. just put him out there. And it came out afterwards that, that he did have a slight heart problem that some teams were concerned with, but other teams didn't have any concerns about it. So that's why he ended up falling the way he did. Uh, but I mean, uh, and steel. Joe, and I thought your Jets killed it. I mean, really, look, I'm, they, glad, they I'm were... glad you said it first because when it came my turn to say whose draft I liked, after picking Wilson for rookie of the year, uh, if I would have then said the Jets as a draft I liked, I would have looked major homer. But I'm glad you said it first because we killed it at the draft. We really well. Did. Wilson wasn't isn't he wouldn't have been my number two quarterback. But he's, he's not the reason it was a great draft. Correct. Him, it was Vera Tucker. It was right. more, and then to get Michael Carter in the fourth round. That was ridiculous. I mean, that, to me, that dude might be as good as ETN on his the, best day. The thing with the Jets coming into this 
or, or excuse me, coming out of this. Um, and again, GMs say different things all the time. You don't know if they're trying to make themselves look better, pat themselves on the back. All the reporters for the Jets have come out and said, from what they've heard from sources in the team, the Jets were thinking about taking Elijah Moore at 23. Then they traded up and got Vera Tucker. Moore fell to them in the second round. So they were thinking of taking him at 23. And then they got Gotta him. Gotta love when that happens. Second. Beyond that, the trade for Vera Tucker cost the Jets both of their third round picks. The Jets were intending to take Michael Carter with their first third round pick. They got him at the top of the fourth round. So for two guys, they were slotted to take them in maybe in the first or maybe in the third. And they ended up getting them in the second and the fourth, respectively. So they killed it with the first four. And then after that, all those four get the attention. But beyond that, the Jets took a bunch of athletic hybrids, like you mentioned with Koromoa. They took a bunch of athletic hybrids who specifically fit Robert Sala's defense because he likes that, that ability to, to change guys in and out and not miss a beat. And he took all guys like that who were all like team captains and leading tacklers and stuff who he's now going to be able to coach up. And the thing about Sala is he is – and we talked about this two weeks ago, the best thing about him is he is truly a coach in the truest sense of the word in that he's not just out there scheming up the defense and this and that. He gets with guys one-on-one, and he has a track record of one-on-one elevating guys' games because of positional coaching. So I love what they did going all offense in the first few picks, all defense beyond that because you got a defensive guru in Salah who can help get more out of those guys. So I love that. I'm glad you said it so I didn't sound like too much of a homer. But the other one I was going to say, too, was the Browns. The Browns killed it. Uh, the Raiders are a massive head-scratcher again with Alex Leatherwood at number 17. See, but the Raiders – If it funny works about, out, it works out. It, well, what was funny about them is Leatherwood was a reach at 17, but then they got Morig at 51. And if you took him at 17, nobody really would have blamed you for that. So the fact that you can look at it as if that was their first rounder and then Leatherwood probably True. wouldn't have been there in the second round, it's not bad. But, uh, I they mean, when Gruden, when Gruden took him in the first round, I'm like, John. And we called it's it. Screaming. We're like, Gruden yeah. loves the yeah. big schools. He's going to bite it's for it. It's not even Gruden. It's, it's more Mayock. Mayock, I feel, like. I feel like it's more Mayock. But that screamed to me panic pick because so many mocks had, uh, had the Raiders taking Vera Tucker at right. 17 to the point that Vera Tucker's over-under was 17 and a half. And when the Jets traded up and took him, it screamed panic pick to me for the Raiders because they were like, oh, oh, my God, wait, that's our guy. Like, who do we take now? Right. Uh, uh, we like Leatherwood. We were going to take him later, <laughs> but just take him now. We don't know what else to do. Like, it's exactly. screamed panic pick to me. Yeah. But it worked out in the end. So that, that's that's good for them, I guess. Oh, we have to wait and see. A lot, of guy, a lot of guys, I mean, you go through the draft grades from, from Kuiper and McShay, so many teams had A's and B's on paper. I genuinely thought a lot of teams had really good Yeah, draft. they did. There weren't a ton of head scratchers like uh, no. of teams picking positions they didn't need or really reaching on guys. Like even the pick of Leatherwood, that was considered the biggest reach of the first round. But it was at a position of need. It's not like old Al Davis picking Darius Hayward Bay at number <laughs> seven or whatever it was. Like there were none of those in this draft. So – on paper, a lot of teams had really good drafts. And, of course, we have to wait and see who develops, who ends up not quite being as good. But, but it was a very interesting draft. 
as you look at defensive player of the year, two guys or defensive rookie of the year, there are two guys for me that uh, I think you get some good value on. The first one's Jamie and Davis from Washington. We talked about how great their defense is going to be. He's playing inside linebacker behind that defensive line. I mean, if the kid stays healthy, he could have 140 tackles, and the award would be tough to keep away from him. That would be uh, my number one play. And then my number two, I think um, the Ravens pick of Adafe Owe, and it's just because I I don't really necessarily love him, but I trust the Ravens and their track record of taking defensive players in the first round. That's a good way to put it. He, uh, you know, they're so desperately looking for a pass rusher that with the way Wink Martindale brings his pressures, I mean, he could have a double-digit sack season and then be right in that conversation. So those those would be my two plays. Going back to what you said about Sertan, um, the Rodgers theory is interesting I just think we know Vic Fangio's defensive coach. Right. And they look in that. I think it's reading too much into it, but it was still just connecting dots on a day. Right. No, it's interesting. Um, I just think they're like, we got to play Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes twice a year. We better get somebody that can cover. And don't sleep on on Carr either, because for all the crap that Carr gets sometimes with the Raiders, the guy was a broken leg in week like 14 or whatever it was away from winning MVP that year. And you know, he, he went through a couple of rough years behind a bad offensive line. And now that they've sort of fixed that up, I mean, they, they fixed that up, the Raiders. And, and you get him in Gruden's system. Like, he was putting up numbers last year. The issue with the Raiders was not Carr in the offense. The issue was the defense. So, right. you throw him in there, too, when you're talking about having to defend opposing quarterbacks in the division. So, uh, for me, always interesting. I Like you said, I trust it just because I trust the Ravens. But last year, he was towards the top of the Big Ten in pressures. But 50% of those came in one game against Indiana that had a bad offensive line, and he had no sacks. So there, there were some alarm bells there. Yeah, but, again, I trust the Ravens wholeheartedly, um, so I'm curious to see how that plays out. Uh, I would probably lean, like you said, with Davis. And then the other one in that same mold is Zayvon Collins with the Cardinals, another guy who could put up a ridiculous tackle number. Uh, Michael good. Parsons I wasn't really too keen on just because – the defense is probably going to be overall still not great for the Cowboys. And right. even if he's individually really good, if the team has given up 25 points a game, 30 points a game, and, and still engaged in shootouts weekly, he's not going to win the award. Owusu uh, Koromoa, another one, but there's a lot of talent on that Browns defense where he might not get the credit he deserves because you think Garrett and all the guys they got, um, he might not get the credit he deserves in such a good defense. So, so Davis and, and Collins are two that stuck out to me. But now transitioning to the Rodgers thing, like we said we were going to. Um, do you think he stays? Do you think he goes? Where does he go? I don't know. It's a I million mean, it's, dollar question. I've always, even when the report came out from Schefter on draft night, I thought it was just smoke. I, to me, I just don't see how he leaves Green Bay. I think he's frustrated because he knows that his team should have won the Super Bowl last year. I think they were the best team in football last year. And he, he, I think he just, he looks at Tom Brady and he's like, this dude comes over to the NFC. He comes to a new team without an off season, without a preseason. And they just go win the Super Bowl. How does he make it look so easy? 
and it's so tough. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's really tough with Green with, Bay. What they do to him with the drafts and mm-hmm. just not being able to help him get Jordan Love last year and how they haven't given him any first round receivers. I think he's just he's pissed. But look, there's still a long way to go. The season doesn't start in September. They still got some time. When it's all said and done, I think Aaron Rodgers is under center week one for the Packers. But uh, look, Green Bay needs to – they need to make him happy. I mean, yeah. that's that's their guy. They, yeah, I mean, it, they're not it's, going anywhere without him. It's interesting now. He's given that city so much, and he doesn't owe them anything anymore. Yeah. Like, it's gotten past that point where if they want to be mad at him for this, the fans, like they were mad at Favre, they'll get over it in a few years like they did with Favre and they'll patch it up down the road anyway. But in the interim, he doesn't owe them anything. So he, in his mind, he should not be saying, oh, I got to stay here for the fans of Green Bay. It's not, and I don't think he is. Um, another aspect of this that is flying under the radars, I've seen some people mention it, but not a lot. The dude's finally engaged to an actress. So he's got this whole Jeopardy thing going on. So if he can get somewhere uh, away from the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, he's going to do it. Uh, and if he can go to somewhere like the Raiders, which was one of the teams that popped up on my radar and get to Vegas and have that easy outlet to the West coast and Hollywood, that's something that's interesting. Same thing with Denver, just closer out West, but it boils down to this. They have never made him happy. They have never taken a skill position player. They don't sign free agents. And that's just the green Bay way because they're owned by the fans and they are, a team that is always going to put the money they make back into the organization, back into the community. It's just the way the organization is run. It's a colossal failure that in 30 years with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, they've only won two Super Bowls. That is just mismanagement to the fullest. Mm-hmm. But again, part of it is just because of the way the team has to be run because it's owned by the fans and they're not going to just throw money at free agents. And when they, draft they're going to draft for the future and take love and take rogers when they did as far as near the end that's just how it goes but for me the problem boils down to this in today's nfl the longevity for quarterbacks is more than it used to be so at his age coming off of an mvp and still with seemingly at least five six years left in the tank rogers wants a commitment because Green Bay wasted a first-round pick on Love if Rodgers is truly going to be there another five, six years. The second-round pick was on a backup running back. The next pick was a backup blocking tight end. So one of two things is going to happen. He's either gone to a team that is going to be in win-now mode, or he's going to need a contract extension. Not for the money. I don't think he's in this for the money. He wants the years on his contract, so it forces the Packers to sit down and say, all right, This is no longer straddling the line. And I got a lawnmower back here. Um, This is no longer straddling the line between trying to help Rodgers now and trying to prepare for Jordan Love in the future. This is win for Rodgers. And the only thing that does that is a contract extension, which forces them to be tied to him for the next however many years. So he either gets the extension, again, not for the money. It's not a money thing. It's a year's thing. Or he goes somewhere else. It's plain and simple. It's plain and simple. And nothing probably will happen again until the beginning of June, which is quickly approaching because of the cap thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he goes, the only two that really make sense to me are Denver and Vegas. They can offer the what the uh, Packers want in terms of assets. Um, for the Packers who want to 
get younger at quarterback. Derek Carr is not a rookie per se, but he is still younger and it resets the clock, but kicks the can down the road a, a few years of them having to address quarterback if they're not truly sold on love. Um, so, so those are the two teams that stuck out, but it's going to be interesting to watch. And uh, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. You've had Favre, who's been there, done that, come out and say he thinks Rodgers is gone. And it's spoiled. So, so you don't know. Don't know. Yeah, I, it's – I'd like to see Aaron Rodgers stay a Packer. You know, I mean, I would like to see him win another Super Bowl and ride off into the sunset. It's a shame that it's come to this, but hopefully they can figure it out. I mean, I don't want to see him – go yeah. to Denver and uh could you, you imagine Manning. yeah well, <laughs> man 2.0 but then he's got to play Mahomes twice a year I don't know if he wants to do that oh I would love to see that though personally you're getting to see that so would uh year. so would the NFL and all the money yeah. they make from that yeah uh Joe last thing before we get to trivia Tim Tebow has been a big topic of conversation this week did you like the move from the Jags and Urban Meyer to bring him in all right I mean this is clearly like just kind of who, you know, nepotism to the fullest. And uh, at the end of the day, probably shouldn't bring him in. What do you really think he's going to do? That's one side of me. Then the other side of me is like, why is everybody getting mad at Tebow in this equation? If you're going to direct your anger towards anybody, the anger gets directed towards Urban Meyer. But Tebow, he has always been just a competitive guy. And despite what anybody else has said about him, He's just gone and tried to pursue goals he has. Everybody laughed at him for trying to play baseball. He pursued it until he couldn't pursue it anymore. Uh, now at 33 years old, he wants to get back into the game, and he's finally doing what he refused to do because of pride back then when he refused to convert away from quarterback. Mm -hmm. Now he's doing it. He just wants to play football. Um, yeah. So I applaud him for approaching his goals and continuing to pursue them and not giving up and letting the competitive juices flow. There's no ire to be directed towards him in this equation. If you're going to be mad, be mad at Urban Meyer, because I know there's probably a lot of people in that locker room that are like, all right, well, there goes one roster spot because Urban Meyer's not cutting Tim Tebow unless he is absolutely a train wreck. If he can do anything, whether it's personal protect on punts or, on, or running down the field on kickoffs or coming in just as a great blocking tight end, whatever the case, if he adds any value – they're keeping him over someone else. So it sucks for the players. And this is coming for a locker room where they already probably questioned Urban Meyer when he hired or initially tried hiring the Iowa strength coach after all the controversy surrounding him. So on the Urban Meyer side, what are you doing? You're just inviting some bad things in. On the Tebow side, good for you, like not giving up. I mean, that's just a great example. Is ever people like, if you want to pursue something, don't give up, give it a try. Now, maybe he gets this opportunity because of some privilege and because of some nepotism and knowing Urban Meyer, but there's no anger to be directed towards Tim Tebow in this equation. And I've hated seeing it. I know people have different opinions about him for whatever reason, but the anger should not be directed towards him. And I kind of hope he makes a team. Like, I'd like to see him finally playing tight end like he never wanted to all those years ago. Um, and look, at, once he gets in, he is clearly one of the best leaders that we've ever seen play the game and most competitive guys. So, I'm sure that has some positive influence on a very young locker room. So it's not all negative, but the negative about it is just Urban Meyer. Like, why are you inviting this all on yourself in your first year as an NFL head coach with a rookie quarterback? So I don't know. So there's, there's a lot. I mean, first thing, I don't think enough people are talking about the owner's role in the Shad Khan. I think he's really looking to build up that Jacksonville community. 
And now that you have the Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, Gainesville connection to the University of Florida, an hour and a half from Jacksonville, you bring that to the Jags, and I think that gets you a lot more fans. Second part of it that I don't like for Urban is he's got a young team. And every day after practice, when the second string cornerback or the third string linebacker or the first string O tackle comes off the field, all they're going to ask him is, how did Tebow look out there today? What was right. Tim doing out there? And those are just not the kind of distractions you need. On the flip side, because they're a young team, if this was a veteran team who's looking to win a Super Bowl right now, I don't think this would have gone over well at all. It, when they're looking to win and every roster spot is so important, wouldn't have worked. But because they're young and because of the kind of leader Tebow is, maybe they can get away with it. Um, because look, like you said, in the history of college football, if you wanted to win one game, who would you choose a quarterback? It's Tebow without a question. So the guy's a ultimate competitor. He'll work his butt off to try and make the team be a good tight end. It's just, you know, it's interesting that the Jags would do that because you finally got the coach you wanted. You got the quarterback you wanted. You just don't need that distraction. And hopefully Tebow works out with him because I've always liked him as a person, obviously respect him as a player. Um, So I hope it works out, but it's just interesting that the Jags would bring that distraction upon them when there's just, there's no need for it, I guess. And on the flip side, like, you know, maybe it does help in a way that uh, all the media attention that would have gone to Trevor Lawrence, which is always tough to navigate as a young rookie quarterback is now going to go to Tebow and Urban Meyer. So in a way, it does deflect it. And I don't agree with that necessarily. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. But um, there's that aspect of it. But I think it's probably worse to have all those questions for Trevor Lawrence. Hey, how'd Tim look out there? Did you throw him any passes right. today? You know, right. that kind of exactly. thing. So I think the negative of that outweighs whatever positive of the attention being taken away from the rookies there is. So we got some plenty, plenty of storylines to fill from now until camp start because – this is usually the, the only quote-unquote dead period of the year for the NFL after the draft before camp starts because we go from the Super Bowl to the combine to draft season to the draft. And then, of course, the season, once we get to, uh, to July and training camps, that takes us all the way through. So right now, May to the end of June is really the only dead period we have. And at least with uh, the Aaron Rodgers thing looming, we could, we could see some, some things popping up here or there. Otherwise, uh, we, we're out of NFL mode from now until at least a couple months from now, which is good because we get the playoffs starting next week oh, man. in all sports – or well, in two of the sports. So That's right. That's, that's yeah, look, this is a good stretch. You got uh, the Preakness this week and that whole fiasco going on with Baffert. Yeah, I, and then, I learned what a picogram was this past <laughs> week. So, uh, and then, uh, yeah, as I mentioned at the very, very top PGA Championship this week and then the playoffs in, uh, in hockey and basketball. So that should be great. All right, Joe, it's trivia time. You, uh, you're you taking a little bit of a lead on me. You're I up am. two. So I got to step it up. Um, all right, I can give you my question for you first. All right. Playoff hockey starts this weekend. So I figured I'd give you a hockey question. There are five current players in the NHL that are in the top 50 in NHL history in playoff goals scored. Playoff so, goals scored. Playoff goals scored. So give me four of the five. And to give you context, only three of these five players will be in the playoffs. Okay, so four, 
four of the five players who are active that are among the top 50 goals, and only three of them for context are in the playoffs this year. Correct. Correct. Okay. I got it. Um, Alex Ovechkin. Ovi, correct. Okay. 69. Nice. Sin- nice. Sidney Crosby. <laughs> Crosby, 68, correct. Okay. Wow, they're neck and neck right there. Um, all right. I want to say Malkin just because they've Malkin, been in it 63. So that is so correct. So you just need one in. more. So, so you got all the guys that will be in the playoffs. All right. So, so the two left about won't be in the playoffs. Teams. Correct. All right. All right. All right. Um, so you got 60 seconds left. A minute. Shoot. Let's see. Won't be in the playoffs. Anze Kopitar? Not Kopitar. Right. One strike. Um, I'm trying to think of some other dudes. Ryan Getzloff. Is he even? I don't even know who he's with anymore. Um, uh, Patrick Marlowe. Marlowe. There we are. Correct. Well done. <laughs> the old man. With the shark. He go. actually is the current leader of active players with 72. The other one is the former shark, Joe Pavelski, with 61. Oh, I don't think I would have come to Pavelski, actually. Yeah. So those those are the five. I was, I was surprised Pavelski was uh, was that high. So those are the five. Well yeah. done. You got another one. You got right. 20 now. Do you, do you have the list in front of you, or did you just jot them down? The, the uh, I do not. I just jot, jotted down. Okay, okay, gotcha. Five. I was yeah. going to ask if you had it in front of you how far along Kopitar was, just out of curiosity. But, yeah. Uh, Wayne Gretzky was one, I can tell you that. I, as, I, as I, I probably <laughs> would have guessed that one. Okay. Uh, probably would have guessed that one. Yeah. Um, for you, I, I'm going to golf. Um PGA next week. So I wanted to get a PGA question now so I can get another PGA question next week. We'll double up Let's probably. Let's do it. Unless something else comes up. Uh, it's at Kiowa. Yeah. Last time it was at Kiowa, Rory McIlroy won in 2012. Yes. Since then, we have had eight tournaments. Right. And seven winners because somebody repeated. Um, I would like for you to give me five of the seven guys who have won a PGA championship since the last edition of Kiowa in 2012. All right, Joseph, you ready for this? Yes. We got Morikawa. Morikawa. Kepko was the repeater. Correct. So that's Justin Thomas was a winner. Three. Uh, Jimmy Walker was a winner. Four. And um, let's see. Did Martin Keimer win the U.S. Open or the PGA? I believe he won the U.S. Open. Rory. Did Rory win it again? Rory won it again, 2014. There yeah, you go. Was it Keimer or did he win the it US? Was not. Keimer it was, was not all the way back in 2010. Oh, but he was the PGA. It was a PGA. Oh, okay. Uh, the other two guys were Jason Duffner in 2013. And Day. And Jason Day in yeah, 2015. Yeah, Duffner, that's right. That's right. Did Keegan Bradley not win it? Or he Keegan was Bradley earlier. Bradley won it in 2011, the year before Rory McIlroy won it. Okay, got you. All right, Duffner. so we keep the same right. distance here. Nice, keep the same distance. All right, very good. Like that question. Um, all right, Joe, well done. Thanks again to Jenks for joining us. Nice to see him. Hopefully can run into him at the uh, Capital One Sportsbook. Oh, yeah. I got to get out there too once I'm back out of Florida. So Absolutely. I, and, and the word is that online uh, betting is, is slowly – uh, reaching its legalization in Florida. So, uh, so I won't have to, uh, to, 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 you know, I'm not going to even say it. I'm not going to yeah. say it. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that hush hush. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, next week we got a big NBA postseason edition and we'll go more through the NHL playoffs that they're starting 
and that the Canadians up north decide to finally join us. Um, not starting their postseason until next week. And we have a basketball guest plan for next week. One of two guys. Not sure which yet, so we won't say who it is. But you won't want to miss it. Back for 49. We're inching towards 50, PJ. We are almost there. Crazy. Episode 49 next week. For PJ Glasser, I'm Joe Malpa. Thanks for tuning in to this Glass of Joe episode.